Welcome and thank you for joining us on Inside Bend, a podcast where we get an inside look at the city of Bend from the people who keep our city running. You'll hear about the innovative ways our local government is responding to our community's needs and helping shape Bend's future. I'm your host, Jacob Larson. Today, we're joined by Carolyn Egan, who is the City of Bend Recovery Strategy and Impact Officer. We discuss how her new role was created with American Recovery Plan Act funding to help the community recover from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. We also discuss homelessness and Project Turnkey, which is a partnership with Neighbor Impact to buy, renovate, and operate a transitional homeless shelter with 28 housing units. One final note before we get started, this was recorded virtually due to the surge in COVID-19 cases and the City of Bend policy to suspend in-person meetings. So if the sound quality isn't what you're used to for our podcast, that's probably why. Okay, let's get right into this conversation now. Today I am joined by Carolyn Egan. She is the City of Bend Recovery Strategy and Impact Officer. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Glad to be able to chat with you. So thank you for taking the time. Um, So I usually start these off by kind of asking you a little bit about yourself. So um, how how long have you worked here at the City of Bend? Absolutely. So I started with the city in August of 2012. Um, So right at the end, as we were kind of out of the last recession and and, um, on the very, very early roads of recovery in Central Oregon. So I think that is very technically nine years. Um, It's been just the really an exciting an exciting nine years to be I mean, definitely in Bend, like the fastest growing place, you know, in the country, but also just in local government, you know, how local government's evolving and modernizing. What brought you then to Central Oregon in the first place all those years ago? So, uh, yeah, I always talk about being a Philadelphia native. I'm a Philadelphia native. Okay. Um, and I actually finished college and started graduate school in Philadelphia. So started my grad school work at the University of Pennsylvania and found myself, I don't know if you've ever been to the University of Pennsylvania, but um, on a PhD track by 25. Um, and I realized like, oh, I have PhD by 25, not, no. Like I haven't seen the world, like I don't know. And um, was lucky enough to have a crew of friends from Philadelphia who were all making their way across country. So some were going to Colorado, some were going to Portland, put my wagon in that um, caravan and found myself in Portland. And then um, I met a boy who eventually became my husband and his business um, was in Bend. And so when I finished graduate school in Portland, I came to Bend um, and got my first job with an engineering firm in Bend to be closer to him. And good thing it worked out. Like, we're good. We're married. We have a daughter. We have a dog. You know, we're good. It's great to hear. So um, maybe I can ask you, too, a little bit about um, how you came to be in this new role you're in. This is a new position for you. So maybe give me a little bit of background on what you were doing before um, and then now what your role is evolved into. I started with the city as the business advocate. Um, I served as business advocate for about two and a half years. At the um, For the second half of my time in that role, I really noticed that the city had all these, what would be traditional economic development functions, but they were all in different parts of the city. I like to say that they were at the four winds. Um, and so pitched to the city manager who was Eric King at the time and then assistant city manager, still John Skidmore. And I said, you know, you have all these economic development functions 
and they all have master plans. All those plans are adopted by the council, but no one's making sure that all of those plans are actually meeting an overall community goal around job growth or um, wealth creation or career opportunities for our community members, or even making sure that we're the trade-offs around economic development and climate or economic development and equity um, are even being really considered. So in May of 2015, seven distinct divisions of the city came together as the Economic Development Department. But really what happened was during the pandemic or the, the height of the pandemic, when the city got the CARES funding, it was really evident that economic development had a role that was bigger than just running a parking program or worried about Juniper Ridge redevelopment. It really was around how will our economy, how will our community members recover from the lockdowns and, and all of the economic disruption or even destruction um, from the pandemic. The priorities really are around our unhoused population um, and, and an expansion of the types of housing that are available in the city of Bend. We are really trying to expand around workforce development and some of the major industries that we need to have people to be able to continue our growth. Construction, childcare are the two top of mind. Make sure they have qualified staff and then really make sure that our child care providers are both taking advantage of the federal and state funding that's being made available to them um, and also making finding ways inside city government that it's cheaper for them to expand their operations so that when everyone in the community is ready to go back to work and that's a different time for every family and every individual child care will be available to them. Okay, um, I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a left turn here, um, but Today, we wanted to talk about Project Turnkey, which in your new role here is kind of this big project that you're um, taking on for the city along with some community partners. Taking a look at the situation right now for those who are um, houseless, um, what does it kind of look like right now in Bend and Central Oregon? The number that we have um, for um, those who are experiencing homelessness are tri-county wide so we count them um, across all three counties there's no i mean we are not pretending by any mean that there is an equal number of houseless um, people in the in crook and jefferson county as there are in deschutes and and we know that more of people are experiencing homelessness in bend than other parts of the county um, but we have over a thousand individuals and families who are experiencing homelessness in central oregon um, it's about 10 percent increase um, from what we saw the year before and we counted during COVID, so we know it's an undercount and you know, so the better estimates are probably 1,500 people, but if you start really looking at some of the um, school district data across the region, we know that we have homeless students. Um, and so the number of homeless youth is probably underreported. Um, so more than 1,500 um, individuals and families experiencing homelessness. We've combined that as everyone's all too familiar with a rapidly increasing housing costs. So whether that's a rental or a house you're trying to buy or a house you're trying to build. Um, and then, so that's, that's the, so we have sort of this population, then we have the rising cost of housing. And then the other thing is we just have underlying rules in the city of Bend around where housing can be built. Um, and historically, we have underbuilt housing in Bend. For five years during the Great Recession, we did not build one apartment in Bend. So for five years, we didn't build an apartment in Bend. So we're never catching up from that, right? Um, it doesn't really, I mean, we 
we would have to build a lot of units to catch up from that. And, and truthfully, the city council did a marvelous job. The last two years, they had a goal to approve 3,000 housing units and they hit it. Like they hit, it was more, I think it was like 3,600 housing units. So we've had really big efforts um, to increase that number. And that was largely the driven by the work that we were doing in the economic development department, specifically around affordable housing. Um, but there's still more to be done. And the um, state legislature was starting to recognize that in 19 and in 20, and then in 21 passed a series of bills um, that allow for cities and counties truly, but definitely cities to kind of override their existing development codes to be able to cite transitional housing. Just a huge recognition at a statewide scale that in cities we were not providing enough shelter beds and enough transitional beds or, or units and enough permanent supportive housing to support the housing needs of all of all Oregonians. Before we really get into turnkey project turnkey itself, I I just a question just popped into my head because in my role I interact a lot with the community, um, and I think something to that people might not know or or kind of want some clarity on what what kind of is the city's role with this problem? Like what can the city do to help with um, the homelessness situation and what can't the city do to help? You know, there are these private service providers that also play a role in this. Sure, so traditionally what you've seen in Oregon, and this is all based on the Oregon land use system and this set up in 1973 and is with us, I like to call it the planner industrial complex, um, but the Oregon land use system, um, really set up that with regard to land development, cities is in cities is where housing is built. So the cities tend to be the ones who have affordable housing departments. They'll have CDBG funds that come in so that we can incentivize um, or subsidize affordable units that will stay at affordable rates. We kind of took our role, we had these two roles, one just in the authority to permit the development and building of housing, combined it with our responsibility to the federal government to fund affordable housing. And then we just sort of said, this isn't just about affordable housing or housing, this is about housing availability. Um, and that's why you saw the council goals around 3000 units and those types of things. Um, where we don't, we don't, just like we don't have dog licensing, um, we don't have behavioral health. Um, so cities tend in Oregon tend not to be the public health or the behavioral health provider. We made changes to the development code immediately. Um, I guess it was last this earlier this winter that would allow the siting of more shelters under our development code. Um, we have a big project around permanent changes, like bigger changes to our development code um, that would allow more siting of more types of housing. Um, and then we have a handful of state rules that are allowing us to site shelters, managed camps, and to convert motels into shelters under a specific state law. Right, right. Well, that's a perfect way to kind of get into um, what the city is doing with Project Turnkey. You just kind of touched on it briefly about that change that the state has made. So maybe explain a little bit about what Project Turnkey is and then um, specifically here in Bend, um, the motel that we've just purchased and, and how that's all developing into this transitional shelter for people who need it. Absolutely. So I don't know anybody who was in Oregon last summer, um, you remember the fires. 
Um, if you were on the northeast side of Bend, you really remember fires. Um, but right around Labor Day last year, um, massive fires ripped through um, loads and loads of square miles of Oregon. And they were in counties that never imagined that they would have wildfires. So those counties um, were, were trying to figure out how do they replace the housing units um, that were destroyed by wildfire? And for those of us who have been in Oregon a long time, we know that the housing units were destroyed. We wouldn't even be allowed to put back in the forest again, right? These were these were grandfathered in. They were, you know, forty-year-old manufactured homes or or stone structures that you know just don't even have a they don't have a sewer hookup they have a well and so those counties were trying to figure out how to replace those housing units and the legislature was presented um something called project turnkey um, and project turnkey sought um, 65 million dollars from the state general fund um, to allow for the replacement of housing units um, in those wildfire impacted counties and the process by which that those counties could do that was by um, acquiring uh, underused hotels um, in their county and repurposing them for transitional housing. And so then the other counties who said, well, wait a minute, you guys had a fire, but we still need housing. So um, $35 million was allocated for those counties to repurpose um, and use um, underused um, hotels and then convert them to shelters. And what we said is that the city would acquire the facility, we would ultimately be responsible for the property and, and the maintenance and repair of the building and Neighbor Impact would run the shelter operation. So we went in together from the beginning, neither partner had more power than the other. Um, it was an equal partnership. And we went in and said, well, we're gonna repurpose the old mill in and suites on third street, just north of um, Reed Market. And as we, it was, you know, largely approved, yep, go ahead, go do due diligence. As we were doing the due diligence, we realized that the cost of renovating this hotel, and it wasn't even the cost, to be honest, Jacob, it was the time. So it mm. was going to take us more than a year to renovate this motel. And the whole purpose of Project Turnkey was supposed to be this immediate relief um, for individuals and families who needed housing. So we actually wound up pulling out of the agreement around Old Mill Inn and Suites and thought we had lost our place in queue because there were other communities that were further along. And so the community might remember we brought the, the Rainbow Motel on Franklin and the Bend Value in um, to council. They said, yep, proceed with both. And then due to the costs and the appraisal rates that came in, they, they directed us to go through, um, to proceed to finalize um, a purchase and sale agreement and due diligence with Bend Value in. But at the same time, um, we thought the funding was up. We we didn't think there was any more funding. And I had, it was right before the 4th of July and the owner of the Ben Value Inn was texting me and he was like, can I book out through the 4th of July? And truly Jacob, I was about ready to text him back yes. And I looked up at my computer and I got the note from the Oregon Community Foundation, we're, we're funding your project. So, um, we did due diligence in a very, very, I mean, it was a super abbreviated due diligence. Um, that was the reason that the community members who live adjacent to the Ben Value Inn didn't get more interaction from the city, because by the time 
we found out we were going to have funding, it was like you're getting funding and you're closing. So what is the vision for this shelter moving forward? There are 28 rooms at this location, um, and it is not going to be an emergency shelter. So, you know, Jacob, if you and I both found ourselves needing housing, your family would move into one unit, my family would move into another unit, and we would have a relationship with a case manager um, that would sort of determine the actions that we or we and our families needed to take to keep this housing um, with the eventual goal of us moving into our own unit that's not at a shelter. Um, this will not be a, an emergency shelter, so there will never be a queue along Division Street for people waiting to get in for the night. Um, if um, someone needed a meal or if someone needed services, they could not knock. I mean, they could knock on this door, um, but they would be provided with information to go elsewhere. Like, no, you know, we will not be offering services to those who are not living at this location. Um, those services that they need, we will refer them to other locations. Um, those who are living here will live here like it's their home. They'll go to work, they'll, their children will go to school, um, they'll go to their doctor's appointments, they, they, they can stay in their unit during the day if they have to work at night, those types of things. Um, it will be run by Neighbor Impact. There will be an on-site manager. Um, there will be 24-hour um, security. Um, and we do, we fully expect as the city to not just improve the building, but improve the site. Um, and we're looking at other neighborhood um, improvements, street improvements, sidewalk improvements, landscaping improvements um, that um, we would like to see in this area just to make just because we have the opportunity of investing in, on this corner. Why don't we invest um, in the rest? So when are you hoping to move people into the shelter and then how will that process work? We hope to be moving um, families in sometime before the end of the calendar year, but we, we don't know for sure. Um, it will not be college move-in day. Um, when the um, families move into this location, they'll be moved in over time. And then as units are vacated, families, individuals will move into those units. Um, Families will be selected, individuals and families will be selected to live in these units based on coordinated entry, um, which we, again, we've talked about this a couple of times. We have the group of social service providers who are, they do housing assessments on families and individuals at all times. And then those who have the highest priority needs are moved into housing first. And so this is adding um, 28 units to that system. Could you maybe explain to me a little bit about what management of the shelter will look like once people are moved in and living there? You know, I think neighbors and other members of the community can expect that case management services will be on site most days. Medical services will be provided. Um, the, they can expect to see some ADA improvements and some landscaping improvements at the site. Um, and then hopefully, um, like many other of the shelters that we have throughout Bend and Central Oregon, you won't even really notice that it's there. I mean, it will it will be housing like any like any other. That's great. That's great to hear. I keep going back to that comment you made earlier too about um, you know, we stopped building apartments in Bend for so long and there's almost this, like you said, this backlog that we probably it it's hard to catch up and that you need these different variety of houses. And that's really what this council um, and city staff have been directed to do to kind of create more options for people here in the city. Yeah, I think another thing that's interesting for um, people to understand is that 
even though we may be building, we are building more apartments um, and we're building smaller housing units, we have a really, we have a mismatch of housing. So we have one person households who need a studio apartment and there's no studio apartments. And so you're a one person household and you're living in a two bedroom apartment, which means the mom and her two kids who could afford your apartment aren't getting into your apartment because you only really needed a you only need a one bedroom or a studio. She needs a two bedroom and it's just, it's just a mismatch. Um, and so it was pretty exciting also in the neighborhood around um, the Bend Value Inn and, and the future shelter. Um, we have a 81 unit studio apartment um, redevelopment happening. So we're starting to see um, a, a broader variety in the type, even in the type of apartment units that are being offered. Um, and then as everyone's probably following a broad, a, a sort of more broad array of the type of housing units that are being, um, being built in Bend. And we need, we need both. Absolutely. Um, as far as the, this current project turnkey, what, what's kind of the timeline when are families moving in and what, where are we kind of at in that process? So we are finalizing the renovation plans right now. Um, and then we'll have to go just like everybody else. We'll have to secure building permits and contractors um, for those. So we're hoping um, that we can move families in by the end of the calendar year. But I don't have any, I do not have a date certain um, for that at this time. Well, thank you so much. Lots going on. I'm sure I'll get the opportunity to chat with you again at some point, but thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you so much to Carolyn for joining us. If you'd like to stay up to date on Project Turnkey, you can head to bendoregon.gov project turnkey. Thank you for tuning in to Inside Bend. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to subscribe and you can check back each month for new episodes. And also a very special thank you to the Pitchfork Revolution for providing us with this music.